Hello and welcome to Off Canvas, a podcast by Capture Collective. In each episode of this series, we discuss our honest thoughts on some of the best and worst moments in current art news. We'll be releasing a podcast episode each month and invite you to send us your own highs and lows of the art world if you want to hear them discussed on the podcast. The things you love and the things you hate. The things you love to hate and the things you hate to love. We hope this podcast will be an open and discursive space, but want to stress we are not an authority on any of the topics discussed and anything expressed is the personal, unfixed opinion of the hosts. We're so excited to share this podcast with you and we hope you enjoy Off Canvas. In this month's episode, we're starting off the year by taking time to reflect and ask the question, have we really missed the museum during the past 10 months of coronavirus travel and lockdown restrictions in the UK? We'll be talking about what we have and haven't missed about the museum, as well as what we're looking forward to from museums in 2021. This episode was recorded via Skype during lockdown in the UK, so please note the audio quality may fluctuate throughout. This episode on the museum is also the perfect opportunity for a special announcement from Harry. I'm super excited to be announcing that we have released podcast merch and I'm going to tell you a little bit about my design. So the piece is a utopic vision of a gallery or museum and it's a reimagining of the space. Leopard figures mirror the poses of canonic artworks. For example, Raphael's The School of Athens, Botticelli's Venus and Manet's Olympia. They subvert these works. Displayed on the walls of this museum are works by artists that are frequently omitted from the white, patriarchal, heterosexual canon of art history. Some of the artists we have spoken about previously on the podcast can be seen in the piece. For example, a self-portrait by Zanelli Maheli hangs on the wall and Thomas J. Price's sculpture Reaching Out can be seen in the doorway. Welcome to the second episode of Off Canvas with Capture Collective. This month we're talking about Have We Missed the Museum? Today on the podcast, we have Harry, Alex and Zoe, who were also in the first episodes. We're just going to introduce ourselves again to remind everyone who they're listening to. I'm Zoe. I'm an undergraduate student at the moment. I'm in my final year studying art history. I'm Alex. I'm also a final year student studying art history. I'm Harry. I'm in my third year and I'm studying art history and international relations. So I think this month we just wanted to talk about kind of our relationship with museums, art galleries, before and after lockdown, because we're recording this during what I suppose is the third lockdown in the UK (laughs) in January 2021, and how that relationship with art galleries might have changed given recent discourse around museums, galleries and public spaces. So yeah, I suppose, do you guys enjoy them? Have you visited any recently? Did you visit them a lot before you were, when you were allowed to? (laughs) The last time I went to one was in February. This is definitely the longest time I would have not been to a museum for. I went to the Modern modern One or Modern Two at the Scottish National Galleries, um, which is in Edinburgh, over summer. I think it was in July or August when things were kind of starting to feel a bit more normal and you just had to book to go. But other than that, as long as you were wearing a mask inside it was kind of like the same sort of experience. I was with two friends that weren't super into art I suppose and we thought it would be kind of like a fun day out and something that we could still do despite the lockdown restrictions and it was the Katie Patterson exhibition which I'd actually already seen like twice (laughs) because it was on before lockdown but I suppose I enjoy it as kind of like a social thing and I 
suppose going to see that exhibition again because it's free I mean I didn't mind going to see it again and I feel like that with a lot of exhibitions if you're doing it with different people and not necessarily always going to actually look at the artwork. For me going to museums and galleries is kind of what got me into art in the first place. I think the first gallery I went to was when I was eight and since then I've like kept a what I call a gallery book so I put like notes about exhibitions I've seen and like sketches from it and you know postcards from the exhibition kind of what like made me interested in art in the first place so it definitely has a lot of personal meaning to me but then as time's gone and especially in lockdown I think I've began to reflect on museums and galleries more critically but I definitely still really miss them and I'm so excited for when they're open again properly. How about you Zoe? I've definitely definitely miss them I can't wait to just go and see some artwork physically in person again but yep. I don't love museums as an institution and what they're not doing it's a love-hate relationship something that I missed most when we were in lockdown was the summer exhibition at the Royal Academy mm. that's always just an incredible display of so many different types of art and subjects and an extraordinary collection of artists which you don't really get anywhere else in the UK on that scale. Every year it's something that I really look forward to. And I generally quite like the Royal Academy of Arts in London as a museum. Anyway, I don't love their programming. They put a lot of David Hockney on. We don't want to see another show by him. <laughs> One of the worst exhibitions I've ever been to was, I think it was at the Royal Academy. It was like 81 portraits by David Hockney. I went to that one. <laughs> so bad. It was just like 81 portraits, clearly of his like middle-aged friends. So I was mm. like, I have zero interest in looking at these paintings. They have an exhibition coming up with Francis Bacon, which I was hoping to go to in 2021. And they've got one at the moment with Tracy Emin, and it's linked to Edward Monk. I saw that. I was wondering what the link was and how that how they kind of draw that together. I think they're making the case that he was quite an inspiration for some of her works or as a theme in her works but I'm also kind of like why can't we just give Tracy Emin a show on her own mm. what's the need to bring Edvard Monk into that I think a lot of I think she does get quite a lot of exhibitions on her own but I like I'd agree with you it's like one of those things where it's like oh for the people that might not like Tracy Emin should we just put Edvard Monk in it as well <laughs> should we just put everyone she's a woman let's put a man in <laughs> Honestly, Royal Academy, what are you doing? You have such good social media. That's funny. It's kind of... Their Twitter is hilarious. It's a bit more engaged and critical. And then you see their programming and you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why? So we like the RA, but we're not excited by them. <laughs> are there any other kind of institutions that you guys feel like you've been to a lot of good exhibitions with? I suppose here in Edinburgh the biggest ones really are just kind of modern art and then there's the portrait gallery and then there's the one on the mound the national galleries but I would say that those are kind of the only really big institutions other than things like sculpture parks like Jupiter Artland and then there's smaller commercial galleries so in Edinburgh it's kind of a bit niche <laughs> and tends to focus a lot on Scottish and British art I would say but then I always kind of associate going to London with going to Tate, Tate Britain and Tate Modern, but they've got a lot of bad press at the moment, which might be kind of a good segue into talking about the more critical responses to art galleries. One thing I would love to squeeze in there is I think 
Tate Liverpool and Tate St Ives always get so pushed out of the equation and talking about Tate and I'd really love to go to them because I've never been I really love going to I want to call them regional I don't know if that's fair but regional art galleries I think sometimes they're just way way better than any national capital ones maybe because we put so much pressure on what we expect from those kind of ones the protests that have been kind of stationed around Tate have been impacting not just Tate in London but also St Ives and Liverpool Basically, in like June and July, because of COVID, there was quite a lot of job cuts, despite there being a £17 million bailout from the government given to Tate, where the union um, that protected the workers at Tate asked for a 10% cut of that £7 million to save jobs. And despite that being like, a, I mean, to you and I, maybe quite a modest number to have asked for, 10% of a bailout to save people's jobs. Tate basically kind of didn't really didn't really budge on that the area that they were kind of making these redundancies and in June and July that was around 313 redundancies was Tate Enterprises which is the commercial arm which covers catering retail and publishing and the union the workers union argued that these redundancies would disproportionately impact black and ethnic minority groups and women Since that, in December, there was 120 more jobs supposedly to be kind of at risk now. Although, according to The Guardian, the initial 313 redundancies, the Tate restructured the redundancies to not disproportionately impact minorities. But those redundancies happened nonetheless. As well as this stuff happening, they've come under a lot of fire for their response to the Black Lives Matter protests. They've promised a guide to allyship as part of their uh, program to combat racism in the institution and as well as that they're they like basically they posted one of the black squares which have since become really kind of discussed as problematic and potentially part of this issue of performative allyship specifically in the context of the job cuts as well as one of their massive donors Anthony D'Offey who created their artist rooms program I'm not sure if I'm getting all of this completely right but along the lines of he made the artist room programs and um, his name's on the wall of the turbine hall but in 2018 he was temporarily kind of postponed as a supporter of Tate as well as the National Gallery of Scotland actually for having three sexual abuse allegations from three women as well as then in 2020 after the summer where Tate had made a lot of promises about how they were going to deal with diversity and restructure their institution. He posted a picture of himself with a gollywog, which is a kind of racist doll on Instagram. And since since that post, which a lot of people who work for Tate have suggested they were very much aware of already, he's been kind of removed from their list of donors or supporters or whatever his kind of function is but his name remains on the wall of I think the turbine hall or the new building that has been created and Tate and the Scottish National Galleries are responsible for a great deal of his wealth because they bought so much of his artwork from him so there's a lot of really kind of problematic stuff going on with Tate. I think there was a question about whether to deaccession works that they bought from him or he donated and I'm not 100% sure of whether there has been an outcome yet or what the outcome was. And I do think it's an interesting question because there's literally so much art, great art. You don't need his collection, like give it back to him. 
Do you think the collector then taints the artwork? I wouldn't personally want to go to an institution where it's dominated or upheld or even condoning that artwork. Like there's enough of it to not need to show that. But thing. it's his artwork. But I don't think it necessarily taints the artwork, but it taints the institution and the act yeah. on the walls. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's just it's just interesting because Tate released the statements after about like Matt claiming to be doing all these things to help diversity within the art world. But then when it comes to actual real change, they're clearly they're not achieving it. So it just kind of shows I think the whole is going back to the whole black square thing. It shows how like symbols can be important in anti-racist work but they also can distract away from real change and real activism kind of like back to the whole statues debate like you know tearing down a statue is is this a symbol and it's important but is it like a distraction from what really needs to be done do you think there's so much irony in the fact that artists are so often right at the forefront of or a lot of their work is ingrained in activism and protests and museums are just lagging so far behind and yet they're claiming to represent these artists and give them a platform and a space and they're just completely ideologically coming from such different spaces with different goals. I don't understand I mean my experience of people at both art school and at university doing arts degrees is quite wholeheartedly that people are interested in this change and really want to kind of drive it forward. And how do, where do these people disappear when it gets to the museum? I think because the museum is like, it, you know, I kind of think that we separate it from the capitalist system, but it is a capitalist mm-hmm. enterprise. Like it's a money making enterprise and the people on top boards in museums aren't people who want to drive change. They're people who want to generate profit. Mm. I think I think that's where the problem lies. And I, was, I think I was reading, I was reading stuff from the White Pube that you um, recommended, and it's quite interesting because museums are like, okay, to encourage diversity, we're going to hold lots of exhibitions by Black artists, but then that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to remove white supremacy from the museum because it's still white people who will predominantly buy their art. So it's, it doesn't remove the issue of how entrenched the museum is in the capitalist system, which I think is like the fundamental problem with them. People are coming out of art school and if say they're entering these museum structures and the structures are so rooted in white supremacy, one person or a group of people trying to change these structures, just constantly facing obstacle after obstacle or people saying no after no after no and get so worn down or burn out and hopeless about how they can internally change the museum. There's an article by the White Pube, I think it's called Fuck the State, Fuck the Police, Fuck the Tate. And uh, it's basically about kind of how reform doesn't work if it's such a broken system and it really needs to be kind of overhauled because you can't just put people into a system that will be essentially violent against those individuals mm-hmm. and you kind of create a space that is structured differently rather than just replacing people or replacing things like the, who you're exhibiting because although these are all really positive things for change they're they're ultimately not changing very much if the system underpinning it is still one that supports certain values i think as well with this idea of who gets into the museum my experience has been that if I if I want to try and kind of get into these areas, you have to work for free for ages 
or you have to work for kind of like a really kind of strange working hours, like zero hour contracts and things like that. So it's not necessarily super sustainable or kind of a system that supports people that can't afford already to be in that environment. And I think that it makes it really, really difficult to get into those positions if you aren't already coming from a position of extreme privilege. And live in a city as well to have access. Even even just living in London. Cancel Art Galleries, the Instagram account, has spoken a lot about unpaid internships. And there's a recent post on their page, which we can link in the show notes, that links a hotline number to report any galleries that you might have done an unpaid internship for. You can do it anonymously and they will investigate it and they will find the people that required you to do an unpaid internship because legally you have to be paid the minimum wage and they will pay you retrospectively. So if anyone's been exploited, <laughs> go and find that number. Well, it's even if, if even if it's not an unpaid internship, they'll call it like a volunteering scheme. Mm. And then that gets around it. And I think that's ridiculous. That was one of the things that Tate said to some of the people who were on strike is that if they wanted a volunteering opportunity, they were welcome to come and work for them that way. That is violent. That is... Wow. Wow. That's awful. For the listeners, Zoe just pulled her face down. <laughs> so I think back to the point you were saying about, like, where do these people go before they get to the museum? I think as it's just clear that the people who are at the top of these institutions don't want change. Like I was reading the Tate's five-year objectives and one of them is, this is like a quote, to enhance our role as a global innovator by promoting a more diverse art history, reflecting how art is made and seen now. I mean, that kind of just says it all. They want to promote a diverse art history to enhance their role as a global innovator. It's so self-serving. There's no actual desire for real change. They want to appear as a global innovator, I think that was quite telling. You know, these empty statements about Black Lives Matter, yet they're firing their fame star. I think as well, just the fact that they didn't even entertain the idea that some of their top people in the gallery could take a small pay cut from their salaries. To have that much of a kind of wealth inequality within one institution is wrong. I think once you start paying everyone better, you are gonna generate something greater. Mm -hmm. And we know probably without needing to look up the directors at the Tate that they're white. Probably a lot of them are men as well. Like one in the art, I mean, we don't know this because we've not looked it up, but maybe we should. Maybe I'll start doing that now. But (laughs) did you know 13 out of the 14 of them or the 12 out of the 13 of them are also appointed by the prime minister? So So the Tate is inextricably linked to the Conservative government. I did not know that. That's crazy. And that's also interesting, just thinking recently about the ex-director of the Royal Academy is now the director of the BBC. It's like a cult. It is literally... Anyway. (laughs) The RA as well. Didn't they only recently get their first ever female director or something like that? Yeah, The current director of the Tate is a woman. We love that. That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's like her and then just loads of white men. Oh. It was going so well for a second. But I always worry about like having women in those positions and then them just not doing what you want them to do as women. Because it's not a guarantee that they're going to drive the change that yeah. you would hope they might. Which museum or a specific exhibition did you miss 
most in 2020 that you didn't go to see because of museum closures with lockdown or because of travel restrictions? I was booked to go to Zanali Maheli's exhibition, which I was so, so excited about. And I kept kind of replanning when to go. And I was finally about to go. And then two days before they announced tier three London. So I couldn't. So I was so sad about that. But that is still going on until March 2021. So hopefully I'll get to see it at some point. But you just never know. That's hate, isn't it? And you said earlier you've read through their diversity thing. And that is one of the exhibitions that they suggest as part of their diversity programming. One thing I think the tape in the last couple of years as a show had as well, I think it was Dora Ma. And I think that was the first ever solo exhibition she was given. And I was shocked by that. Yeah, it was the first ever solo exhibition she was given. And it was on at the same time as the Olafur Eliasson exhibition. Apparently it was great. I actually didn't go to it, but my boyfriend did and he really enjoyed it. As much as I'd want to celebrate them for that, I'm also like, why is it taken until now to do this? Yeah. Do we think it is the responsibility of institutions to be platforming artists? I think it's just really lazy if they don't. It's so lazy to just keep putting on again and again and again Picasso, David Hockney. Like, there's yeah. literally so yeah. much fantastic stuff. What are you doing? <laughs> I was looking at the, you know, like new exhibitions exhibitions for 2021 and mm. another major Turner exhibition at the Tate Britain I know I've like said about it before but I literally hate Turner I was like why again also it's not what you want to be seeing when you come out of lockdown it's been like such bad <laughs> and you just go to this exhibition full of depressing pictures of like grey skies it's just not what anyone needs <laughs> Turner just reminds me of like GCSE art yeah I just hate it so I do actually quite like Tyner and I've never seen any of his works in person so I would be quite excited to go and see that. I, I don't dislike Turner either I like because we um we get the Turner watercolours at the Scottish mm. National Galleries every couple of years and they're really nice I don't dislike them. <laughs> Alex did you have a museum or exhibition that you particularly wish you'd been able to see in 2020? Not a specific one but I suppose what I I mean, I'm doing my dissertation on art in Scotland and what I've come to realise is that there is so much kind of art and creative space in Scotland that is just so not easy to find, maybe, or maybe I've been looking in the wrong places. And I would I mean, I'm I'm from Edinburgh and I haven't really spent a lot of time in Glasgow, but there is kind of a small list I'm creating of places I want to go visit in Glasgow really cool kind of even just like small places that I've seen set up um via Instagram or other things and I suppose I really just want to explore those smaller spaces rather than just going to kind of large institutions like Tate or I suppose in Scotland like the Scottish National Galleries because I think that even if it's a slightly smaller kind of day out and if that's what I'm looking for which a lot of the time is <laughs> I'm looking for something to do I think that I'd really like to just explore these spaces a bit more and really understand what is available. And I think that that is partly my own kind of ignorance and kind of not having looked properly for these spaces before and kind of expecting them to come to me a bit, which I think we do kind of come to expect when it when we think of museums. I'm sure most of us, the first thing that comes to mind is kind of a large temple-like building with national treasures and things like that whereas I think I would like to kind of look at small independent institutions and see what they're up to. 
thinking about slightly smaller spaces, I would always, always, always rely on these smaller, maybe independent arts organisations to be doing a much more intentional, authentic job at activism or diverse programming than I ever would a bigger institution. I just think it's always more genuine. It's always more nuanced, creative. They just do such fantastic things. And it's something I've been thinking about how you marry that kind of programming with a bigger institution. And if it's even possible, like I guess grassroots activism, it's always, Mm. as far as I kind of have seen, much more effective, but that's not going to work for changing institutional structures in the same way because those grassroots often at times is so in opposition to institutions how do you get the two to work together and is that possible is that effective you then just end up eclipsing the kind of new grassroots institutions with the old structures and I think that that would be the danger with that a bit white pubes said in that gallery they were basically calling for said in that article sorry they were calling for the abolition of these large art institutions and I was just wondering, I don't have an answer to this at all, but I was wondering, like, what you think would replace that? Would it be, like, other smaller, like, smaller independent galleries? If mm. we had to abolish, you know, the art gallery as we know it, what would what would replace that? I have so many random unorganised thoughts about this. I, would, I just don't know how to kind of collate them all into one vision of a substitute for what we currently have. I think the primary thing in my mind would be to get rid of where historically the funding has come from and how the collections have been acquired and how different a museum might look if it was crowdfunded. A lot of these institutions are public institutions so they should be serving us. I mean they're in the public realm technically we own these artworks and they are getting kind of a lot of these institutions are getting public funding and I think that that is a key source of anxiety for people like the white pube because it's kind of like why am I funding this yeah I don't know what it would be replaced with but I think that it's almost a bit kind of removed from the education I feel like I'm getting which is an education in art history but I don't feel like a lot of the people that I speak to at uni necessarily engage with contemporary art I don't think that people are engaged like can really name a lot of kind of contemporary artists that aren't the massive ones that are being supported by the the institutions and I think that there's a problem in that in that there's a system of re-education once you get into these spaces I suppose and I think I, I mean any education I have on how these institutions work has come largely from my own research and interest in them and I think there's a really big disconnect there. They're so static in my mind and like archaic places there's no social it doesn't change from apart from the temporary exhibitions going back to the same permanent collection over and over and over and over again there's just nothing's changing I'd love to see things getting moved around much more in permanent collections even that year-long maybe thematic displays highlighting certain works because there's so much in storage as well which is a shame Voice did uh, an exhibition in Manchester there was her retrospective and then this exhibition called Speech Acts and in this exhibition called Speech Acts they took all loads of artworks from their kind of archives that were completely unseen and hadn't been seen for ages and put them on exhibition and that was very much driven by a research program that was headed by Sonia Voice. And I thought that was really interesting because it, it was kind of focused on, you know, why are these artworks not on display? I mean, 
David Hockney is one of the artists that it wasn't on display and gets put on display. So, you know, there, there's big names and small in this kind of yeah. exhibition. But the focus was kind of on this exhibition largely was of kind of uh, black and ethnic minorities, women um, and queer artists. And I suppose it was kind of without really having to ask the question, the question was implicit in the exhibition. Why are these not on display? What makes these less worthy of display than what you do have on display? Thinking of Manchester and what we've previously spoken about with Tate Liverpool and Tate St Ives, I would love to go and see just so many more regional art galleries. I often find if I have been on holiday anywhere and I happen to come across the local museum and it's got the most amazing collections and which often do include huge names like I'm thinking of a gallery I went to in Bologna in Italy and it had these incredible Raphael paintings amongst hundreds of other amazing paintings and I'd previously come from Florence where Alex and I went to the Uffizi which was amazing but just in my like it didn't really compare to the gallery in Bologna and I think there's so many not undiscovered but we never really hear about them or see them being spoken about in major art news. And I just want to go and see loads of more regional museums. I guess as well, like, maybe what makes them great is that they're not discovered. I know that you guys, like, aren't from London specifically, but I think that that's potentially, like, an issue with this kind of London as a cultural hub and everything else being, like, in square quotes, like, regional. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think, I think that that's a problem. Some of these places would call themselves regional museums. Whether or not they call themselves that, I kind of think that there's like an unpacking to be done there because by calling yourself regional, you put yourself at the periphery and create mm -hmm. a centre by doing so. And I think that although you could argue, you know, like it's just language, it's just, you know, don't think too much about what the words mean. I think words are all we really have when we come down to this kind of yeah. thing. They, they will, words are what frame our experience of the world. And I think that this idea of kind of having regional places is a big kind of very London focused idea of the UK I mean it's the same with kind of this idea of Scotland being just kind of like Edinburgh Glasgow maybe Aberdeen and Dundee and you know like Scottish art galleries are always called Scottish rather than like Edinburgh Glasgow whereas like Manchester Art Gallery Liverpool Tate like London Tate I think there's a lot of kind of British politics ingrained in in art and the art world to be honest I was reading recently about how art history as a discipline kind of arises at this time where nationalism is a really massive concern and art history and nationalism kind of come hand in hand and support one another. And that's a kind of really big thing that Eddie Chambers talks about with the kind of experience of being a black artist in the 1980s in Britain as being kind of unable to penetrate this idea of Britishness as a black individual and the problems that that gave him and his contemporaries when trying to form some kind of lasting legacy of black artists in the 1980s and what happened was that so many of them because of the struggles they had against institutions ended up just kind of creating this history and these exhibitions for themselves and I think it's really telling that Sonia Boyce was the first black woman to be taken into the Tate collections in 1987 this year for the in 2021 Alberta Whittle is representing Scotland at the Venice Biennale and Sonia Boyce is representing Britain at the Venice Biennale and they're both the first black women to be representing us as nations at these massive international exhibitions 
And I think it's really sad that it's kind of taken 2021 to get to this point. But those will be exciting. Which museums or exhibitions are you really looking forward to going to see in 2021 if COVID travel restrictions and lockdown rules allow it? I think after this discussion, I quite like to go to Tate Liverpool and the Manchester Gallery. I suppose I don't really have an answer. I, I feel like I'm not looking to see what exhibitions I could go to at the moment. <laughs> I'd really like to go and see the Yayoi Kusama exhibition at, at Tate Modern. <laughs> I feel guilty saying that. Although maybe that's in 2022. I'm not 100% sure. But also, I'm very aware. I do love her like infinity rooms but I'm quite aware that the tape potentially would have done that as a marketing strategy maybe not to diminish how great her work is but they know it's instagrammable they know that people are going to buy the merch that they put in their shops and it is a bit of a the capitalist move as we were talking about earlier I, I was, it was trending like everywhere it was all over Facebook mm-hmm. Instagram I like Yaya Osama, but she has lots of really interesting stuff in her early career that doesn't get talked about as much, that's a lot more kind of political and performative. Like mm. she did the, um, kind of dancing pieces in Wall Street and like anti-Vietnam War work and she was really kind of very politically and was socially active in the New York scene in her early career. Although I suppose you can't really reenact that in the gallery. Or maybe you could reenact it. Maybe you could have loads of people come and do stuff like that. I suppose I just don't want to see the same stuff churned out all over again. Because, yeah. like, she has, yeah, like, Yao Kusama's had quite a few really major exhibitions at Tate. Maybe this podcast should just be about Tate. <laughs> <laughs> but she's had quite a few exhibitions. And I suppose it's that thing that you were saying earlier about, you know, how many times can the RA put on David Hockney? And, like, I know that these are the big ones that are selling for them. But, I just want to see something new. I don't hate David Hockney. They just always post about him. I'm like, there's so many things that you could talk about. It's just, it's upsetting at this point. If they want to contact me directly, I will I will leave a comment for them. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing about museums being neutral because that's the most like safe thing to do. No one's neutral. Like that's such a myth. They're also like, not neutral spaces. They're spaces <laughs> of protest and they have been for forever. But also they were constructed like in the colonial era, like they're colonial constructs and they can't yeah. be neutral. And there's so many of them are full of stolen objects. Exactly. I mean, violently acquired. I saw someone, I can't remember who it was, some, like some Twitter user basically saying that the Pitt Rivers Museum was like the most violent space in Oxford. And I thought that was really interesting. There are anything but neutral spaces. A guy called Daniel Buren, he has a signature set of stripes that he puts in various places and very often in public spaces connected to institutions. So on the steps of the, I think it was the Art Institute of Chicago, he put these stripes as you enter into the museum to demarcate the space and to activate people's awareness of entering into an ideological space and to ask them to acknowledge that. And I really like the idea of that artwork. I think it's really important that people understand that museums are ideological spaces. And I think, again, like this idea of history be like, I think a lot of people think of history as something that's just completely, you know, true, truth or false. And a lot of other people would agree with me when I'm saying that that's completely not true. And I think that that's a lot that really undermines a lot of discussion around museums, I think, because this idea of there being an unquestionable thing that happened and there's no kind of different experience that could have 
come from that past really becomes an issue when you're trying to question it because there's so much resistance to alternative perspectives and I think that having too strongly an ingrained singular perspective which often museums will be very responsible for is or at least responsible for suggesting that there is one perspective is you know responsibility of these these spaces as public faces of history yeah that's so hegemonic they're really just supporting one group of people yeah I mean there is also a lot of like good stuff that there I mean I think that you can definitely see certain spaces and certain people really trying to change these things but I just don't think it's enough and I think that there is a lot to be said about this idea of kind of rather than reform just kind of abolition and you know no take all the artwork out of them leave the Gauguin in there (laughs) change is just going to need to be a huge collaboration between every aspect of museums and then academics as well just a huge collaborative effort and museum network but it's just such an enormous task like is it possible Mm. I think honestly having like a massive network of people that would be able to do this and do it quite radically I think that having kind of like even if you were just connected by on like an online thing I suppose kind of like commissioning content rather than artwork would be really interesting like commissioning people to write about things but then maybe you just end up becoming the problem eventually anyway But I think that that would be a really worthwhile project. And also having people within that group that disagree with each other. Like, I don't think everyone has to agree Mm. to be kind of going towards the same goal eventually, because people will disagree inevitably on how you get there. But I think that having some sort of coalition where you share resources and have a common goal. I feel like you would just kind of end up with the same structures repeating themselves again I suppose I'm just describing a museum haven't I really or like an institution there's certain awards and stuff being run like I know the University of Leicester where there's a lot of curatorial museum studies have this award for museum activism and it's grants of only I think a thousand pounds and they go up to three different projects a year but you can apply for them but I just don't know how far a thousand pounds would get you yeah I also think awards and applications and things are kind of like a false promise of ease like (laughs) if anyone's ever applied to these kind of applications if anyone's ever used these kind of applications you quite quickly realize that they're not very easy to do or successfully and are they there because the museum itself is resistant to funding the activist project yeah and like you know there's so much competition between all these projects and many of which I'm sure would be very worthwhile it kind of feels like as museums try to change and they try to like advocate for diversity and all these things, it kind of is something, it feels kind of odd that you, you know, you have these like exhibitions that are meant to be revolutionary, but they're in this like archaic building in this like, you know, really ancient feeling timeless place. So revolutionary within that structure, can they? Yeah, exactly. So maybe it's about changing the space. I don't really know. I think about this a lot with the idea of, museums owning artworks because I don't know how you would thinking about living artists support them enough if you're not buying them but maybe we 
come up with kind of a new model where if they were just loaned, you still made enough money out of it. And then you could be kind of constantly rotating what museums are showing. And I guess the idea of ownership as a museum model, again, is very rooted in a colonial legacy of museums and wealthy men as well. So I don't know whether there's ever going to be a future museum that doesn't have any owned pieces. Quite a lot of museums will have both in place where they'll have loan systems as well as ownership because they won't own everything that's on their on the wall. I also think that there's this, an issue with going back to who the audience is because, I mean, art galleries and museums have clearly been a massive part of our lives individually and that's why we're having this conversation and they continue to be a big part of our lives because of the nature of work that we're kind of going down. But so many people have literally never been to a museum, have never been to an art gallery, don't like them as spaces, feel intimidated by them. Mm. And I think that's a massive issue. And again, that goes back to this idea of space and the space kind of enacting something on the individual. Museums are an image of wealth that so many people can't relate to. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of anthropology on this. Um, and it kind of goes back to all that kind of like Foucauldian ideas of censorship and being able, to, being able to kind of view who's in the same spaces as you and mutual kind of agreement on what the rules are in certain spaces. And for a lot of people, those rules would admit them as a kind of natural uh, inhabitor of that space. And I think that that's also an issue if we want to talk about kind of reform who are we doing this reform for if the, if a lot of people can't access the space even as a viewer mm. despite there being no financial barriers potentially because a lot of these spaces are free to access it's kind of a social barrier for a lot of people it's just it's interesting because it's kind of it, like museums have gone for me as I'm sure it has for you guys as well like from this kind of place you know like a fun place to go like and then it's kind of the more and more that you think about them as institutions, the more and more like uncomfortable you become. Yeah. And now it's like, do I even want to go to a museum now? If I saw the Rights Museum in Amsterdam have like started changing their titles, some of their offensive titles. Yeah, I remember someone, one of our lecturers talking about, you know, like Golden Age for Who. And then someone was talking to me recently about the Renaissance as a title and being like Renaissance for Who because the rights of women like regressed. It was kind of education for only white men. And it, it you know, it isn't a Renaissance for everyone. So just thinking about the Rijks Museum getting rid of the term Dutch Golden Age in place of, I think they called it just 17th century Dutch art. The National Gallery could never in London. They would never do that. They're just lacking. Right? Shut it down. <laughs> also, in the National Gallery, there's literally, like, three artworks by women on display. Three. Like, it's not okay. I bet they have so many in their storage, but maybe not. Who knows? I could never stop on that, on that particular museum. But I was looking at internships and they had a few different curatorial ones and there were two on specific male photographers and they were both called Robert which was really funny because there was another one there was like only three available or something the other one was all about women and African-American photographers so on the one hand you've got two individual ones on guys named Robert and then you've got a whole one on women and African-American photographers (laughs) that's awful I don't think I need to say why that's a problem to be honest (laughs) 
Yeah, we move on. <laughs> I feel like this has been a podcast of just kind of putting red flags on things. <laughs> Imagine if you just did that, like just went around museums putting red flags on things. That would be fun. I have so many like fleeting thoughts about how to protest in my head. Like when I was in Leiden studying there, literally every single wall I walked past was covered in pictures of men who graduated from Leiden University and became really successful, like so many. And I thought about just doing this research project about women who'd graduated from Leiden and printing off their pictures and just sticking them over the frames to see how long it would take people to notice. Do we have any concluding thoughts? What are the key things? I feel very much like a lot of what we've said has been deconstructing but not reconstructing a solution. And I feel mm. a bit kind of saddened by that. I feel so lost with museums and don't know how to remedy them and feel a bit hopeless because of not being able to change a system that is so ingrained. But we need radical hope in order to do that. I think also though just as just as viewers and not people that are currently working in museums it limits what we can do but then I suppose as consumers we can demand something better if it is as capitalist a situation as we've made out to be. It's just hard to know what the solution is. I suppose it's not up to us to come up with the solution but these are our problems. (laughs) Maybe they should just hire us. We are all looking for jobs currently. <laughs> if there's any in the Edinburgh area, that would be fantastic. Yeah, we would love that. No unpaid internships, please. Guys, I think we just need to set up our own museum. Do you think people will come? <laughs> That's the end of the podcast. A big thank you to In The Bottling Room for creating the music you're listening to now. To the Capture Collective team, in particular, Harry Woodhams, Zoe Barkley and Alex Stevenson for recording and producing today's podcast. And an extra thank you to Harry for also making our wonderful cover artwork. We'll be back again next month with another episode. So keep an eye on our Capture Collective social media for updates. And get in touch if there's anything you want us to shout about. This has been Off Canvas, the Capture Collective podcast.